0: I don't know how long uh, you have been living in Chilliwack, but you might know my wife and I, we're we're fairly new to the area. We've lived here for about a year and a half now. And uh, one of the things we noticed that stood out right away to us when we moved here was just how many people went hiking. It seemed like everyone we were talking to would go hiking on a regular basis. And, And if you've lived in Chilliwack for a long time, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, of course, that's what you do. But actually, most of the places we've lived before, that has not been the case, right? We lived out in Burnaby, and I mean, that was not what happened. In fact, if we wanted to go hiking, we'd have to drive like an hour away just to find somewhere to go hiking and then actually hike back. And it was a whole big affair to actually do this kind of a trip. And so when we moved here, it was quite surprising. It was pretty normal. In fact, it was really easy. We moved here to Promontory and realized we're already halfway up. Like, we've already made it halfway. It's not that hard to just go the rest of the way and make it to the top. And so, shortly after we, we got here, we decided, all right, we, we need to hike Mount Tom, right? We have to get to the top, right? We have to say, you know, it's kind of our, our induction test into promontory. We've made it to the top of Mount Tom. And so, uh, my wife and I, we decided one afternoon, all right, after church on Sunday, let's, let's hike up there and, and we'll see if we can make it to the top problem was, we, we started out a little bit later in the day, and it was in the fall, and so the sun was setting a little bit earlier, and so we started going out, and we're thinking, oh, man, ah, that, that, that's, that sun is coming down. I don't know how if we're going to make it, right? Because the thing is, we weren't experienced hikers. We hadn't done a lot of it. and know how long this trail was going to be. We didn't know how long it would take to get to the top, and so we're just hiking along and watching the sun go down and starting to worry more and more as we're going, are we actually going to make it? And we're looking up every hill, okay, maybe it's that one. No, it's not that one. Okay, maybe it's that one. No, uh, okay, we still got to keep going, still got to keep going. So finally, we just decided, you know what? I don't think we're going to make it, right? We don't have enough time, and so, you know what? Let, let's turn around. Let's go home because we're not going to make it. So we did. We made it home before the sun sun set, and uh, later on, a couple weeks later when I actually did make it to the top, I realized something. Yeah, we were about five minutes away from the top. (laughs) We were right there. We were 90% of the way done, and we had no idea that all we needed to do was just keep going a little bit, and we would have made it. See, the thing is, we didn't know. We didn't know how long the trail was. We didn't know how long it was going to take us. We needed someone to say, look, I've done this before. You're almost there. Just keep going, right? We needed someone who could say, I know what this is going to take. I can see the whole thing. I've been there before. You can make it just keep going. In fact, if you've been with us going through the life of Abraham, you'll know that's exactly what God has been doing for a long time now, right? God gave Abraham this promise, you're going to have a son, right? You're going to have a son. Even in old age, you're going to have this son, and then it seems like it's just never coming, right? He keeps on going, and God says, you're going to have a son, and Abraham's going, where is it? I keep on going over, over the next hill, the next hill, the next hill, and I still can't see where it's going to come. And yet God continues to remind him again and again and again, just keep going, it's almost there, you're going to make it, right? God can say, I can see the whole plan, I can see the whole thing, it's going to happen, just keep going. And the thing is, that's exactly how God talks to us, isn't it? In fact, that's why we have a Bible that has more than 10 pages in it. It's because God is going to say again and again to us, just keep going, just keep going, just keep going. He reminds us again and again and again of what He has promised, of what He is doing for us. In fact, that's exactly what we see in our passage this morning. So, if you have a Bible with you, let me invite you to open to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18 is where we're going to be. We're going to look at the first half of this chapter this morning, and God is going to be repeating this promise that He made to Abraham, But, but here's the thing. Every time God repeats Himself, every time He reminds Abraham of this promise, He's encouraging him to keep going, it's never just pure repetition, right? It's never just copy and paste. God says the exact same thing. Actually, He keeps on revealing something new. There's something new that God brings into the situation that He shows to Abraham in order to encourage him to keep on going. And so, in fact, that's exactly what we see in this passage as well. So, if you have your Bibles open, let me invite you to follow along. Uh, Genesis chapter 18, we're going to start in verse 1. This is what the Word of God says. "'And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the front door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, "'O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight.'" Do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought, and wash your feet, and rest yourselves under the tree, while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves, and after that you may pass on, since you have come to your servant. So they said, Do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sillas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good, and gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, "'Where is Sarah, your wife?' And he said, "'She is in the tent.' The Lord said, "'I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son.'" Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, the way of woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So, Sarah laughed to herself, saying, "'After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure?' The Lord said to Abraham, "'Why did Sarah laugh and say, "'Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son.' But Sarah denied it, saying, "'I did not laugh, for she was afraid.' He said, "'No, but you did laugh.'" All right, that's where we're going to pause for this morning. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we thank You that You don't leave us alone, that You continually encourage us, that You remind us of Your promises, but Father, we thank You. Oh, Lord, we praise You that You are able to accomplish all that You promise, that there is nothing that is too hard for You. So, Lord, I pray this morning, would we learn to trust You more and more would we lean into the promises that You have made to us and give ourselves to following after You. We pray these things in Your name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning, this is, this is a bit of an interesting text, isn't it, right? It's, it, it's, it's kind of an odd little narrative that we get, and really, it's only the first half. We're going to look at the second half later, but But it's kind of this weird little interaction. These three guys show up, and Abraham kind of goes over and above to welcome them in, to give them stuff, and then they start asking questions about Sarah, who's not even there, right? Sarah's in a tent, and they are continually talking about what she is doing, and what she is thinking, and what she is saying, and it's this weird little interaction And so, we're going to look at this text here together and try and understand what is all happening here, why is this going on, but then more importantly, what does it have to do with us? And so, we're going to look in a couple different areas, but the first thing I want us to see is actually this whole issue of hospitality, right? We're going to look at this hospitality that, that Abraham kind of just lavishes on these guests and ask what that actually means for us. But then we're going to look at this promise that is made to Sarah, because they are talking to Sarah and not really to Abraham, and then finally asking, is anything too hard for God? We'll take a look at that. So, let's start off just by looking at this hospitality that that Abraham is showing. Look at verse 1. It says, the Lord appeared to him, Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. So, we're told straight off, God is going to be appearing to Abraham. That's, that's kind of the title for this whole section, God appears to Abraham. And now, that's happened before, right? If you've been following along as we've walked through His life, that's happened before, but this one is different, right? Verse 2 then tells us, He lifted up His eyes, Abraham lifted up His eyes, and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of Him. Right? This was totally different than what had ever happened before. Every other time God had appeared to Abraham, it had been in a vision, in a dream, right? He hears God's voice. This time, now someone is actually standing in front of Him. Now, if you know what happens at the end of the Bible, right, if you've gone through it, you probably have little sparks going off as soon as you heard three men appeared, right? because there's always this question. It says, God appeared to Abraham, and then three guys show up, and we go, (gasps) it's the Trinity. Boom, right, there it is, right? That's one little hidden detail that's in the text, right? Because the end of the Bible does tell us God is three in one, right? He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, one God, three persons. And yet, I'm going to say that's probably not what's happening right here, right? We can't jump ahead too far because actually, when we get to chapter 19, the two of them go off by themselves and the text says they are angels while the Lord stands and talks with Abraham. And so, it seems that God shows up with two angels. Now, you could ask, well, why does He choose two? Why doesn't he choose four? Why doesn't he choose one? And it's a great question that, honestly, we're just going to put to the side because <laughs> we could spend a long time and get, very little, or get yeah, make very little progress on that because this text doesn't unfold it. What is interesting is how Abraham reacts. Right? He goes over and above to welcome these people into his house, right? Verse 3, he runs up to them, bows down in front of them, and says, "Oh Lord, if I have found favor in Your sight, do not pass by Your servant, right? Abraham doesn't yet know that it is God, right? When he says, "Oh Lord, that's, just, that's, a, that's a title, that's saying, Sir, right? It's an honorific that he is giving to this stranger, he's saying, I'm at Your service, Right? Please come and, and uh, meet with me, come into my house, let me give you something, let me wash your feet, let me give you some bread, right? And yet, what Abraham is doing here is, is essentially normal, ancient Middle Eastern custom, right? If a stranger comes by, you're going to welcome them, you're going to give them food, you're going to invite them into your house, and yet, Abraham's doing something a little bit more, Right. If you go down to verse 6, it says, And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, Quick, three sillas of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, gave it to the young man who prepared it quickly. Right? Abraham is dashing around the house. He is running around. And you've got to remember, Abraham is 99 years old. This is not a guy who runs anywhere right? That's not what he's doing. He is walking if he goes, and yet he is dashing around the house in order to prepare something for these guests, right? Verse 8 says, then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them, and he stood by them under the tree while they ate, right? Sounds like he's just watching them eat. Actually, what he's doing here, he's, he's the waiter, right? He's waiting on these guests. Yeah, Abraham has servants who could be doing that, and yet Abraham says, no, no, that's my place. I will wait on them. I will serve these guests, right? You know, in one sense, this is normal practice for hospitality in the Middle East. Even today, if you go into a Middle Eastern home, they are going to welcome you, Right? You are going to have food in front of you, you're going to sit down and have dinner with them, and you are going to be welcomed into that family. That's, that's just part of a custom, right? In fact, there's lots of uh, people all around the world. That's exactly what they do. They're going to welcome you in. It honestly makes us Canadians seem very, very individualistic because we would never even think of doing that, especially to someone we don't know to a stranger to actually bring them into our house, that's kind of hard to imagine sometimes, right? If I can, if I can criticize our own culture for just, just a moment, we're very polite people, right? We're very nice in what we say, and yet at times we're very, very distant. We speak nicely, but we're very hesitant to actually show hospitality to other people. But. I'm not here to talk about Canadian culture, I don't really care, that's not the issue. I'm saying that we don't need to change our culture, but the church needs to be hospitable. The church needs to be a place of hospitality, right? Hospitality is not a cultural value, it is a gospel value. It's actually saying, you know what, because of what God has done for me, so I should be welcoming others. When I was a stranger, when I had nothing to do with God, when I was far away from Him, He brought me into His house. He has welcomed me into His family. That's what God has done for me. So now, I, in response to that, will do that for others. I will welcome other people into my house. I will bring them in. I will show off the love of God for others. See, hospitality is not just a cultural add-on. Actually, it's what the gospel is. It's the gospel at work in our lives. Romans chapter 12 puts it this way. It says, "'Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord.'" Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. See, hospitality is wrapped up in all of those commands, to seek out those who are in need and to serve them. It means what we have isn't for us. It means our homes are not actually for us. It's so that we could welcome others in. The food in our fridge isn't primarily meant for us. It should be meant to be able to serve and to give to others because God has given to us so much. All that we have is from Him, so should we not give then to others? It's a reflection of what God has done. Let me give you an example. My wife and I, we moved down to Kentucky for about a year and a half. And while we were there, we were, you know, trying to join into a new church, and it's always a bit of an awkward thing, and you don't really know anyone, and so we arrived at this church, and I think it was the second Sunday we were there. Second week, and uh, we, we had come with some friends, but we were talking to someone. I don't know, just after the service, I was just chatting with them, and he said, well, why don't you come over for lunch? And my first thought was like, what? No, 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 that's not what we do, right? We gotta make plans like six weeks in advance and you know if we're if we're doing all right, then maybe I'll come over for lunch. But he said, No, no, come over for lunch. So I'm I'm still trying to backpedal, so I said, Well, we actually came with some friends. Great, bring them too. Okay. So so we ended up going over to his house. He said, We're gonna have a barbecue. I'll just throw some extra food on the grill, it'll be a great time. Came over realized there were other people he had also invited, and we sat at the table, and it's then that we realized it was his daughter's first birthday party. We had just been invited as complete strangers to his daughter's first birthday party, complete with a cake and everything, and I'm sitting there going, oh, no, what am I doing here? I shouldn't be here. I'm a stranger, and then it hit me. I was the only one thinking that. In fact, they knew exactly what day it was. They knew what was going on. They still invited me in. They made me a part of their family that day. And all of a sudden, I realized that's exactly what God's love does for us. That's exactly what it does. It doesn't matter that we were once strangers to God. He has loved us and sent Jesus to be with us. Should we not do the same thing? This morning, I want to encourage you, find someone. Invite them over for lunch. If you don't know them, you'll get to know them, right? You'll get to know people through this. Invite them into your home, into your lives, right? It's not a matter of, of showing off. It's not about, you know, making the best, the biggest meal. It's not about saying, look at my house. It's perfect. Look, at it's all perfectly designed exactly the way I want. No, no, it's none of that. It's showing off the love of God, not what we have. So if you are going to open up a can of soup and buns, that's great. Invite people over and show them God's love, not how great a host you could be. It's a call to show off God's lavish love. Hebrews chapter 13 puts it this way, He says, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware." See, that's exactly what Abraham was doing, right? He didn't really know exactly what was going on, but he was determined to be able to show God's love to these people, and it becomes apparent pretty quick, these are no ordinary strangers, right? These are not just normal people, in fact, it comes up pretty quickly, verse 9 look at it with me. It says, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? He said, she's in the tent. Now, just pause there. How did they know Sarah's name? How did they know who she was? They haven't met her. They haven't seen her. They should have no way of knowing her name is Sarah, and yet God is there and says, where is Sarah, your wife? It's not because he didn't know where Sarah was, but it's actually because he's pointing out the fact he knows exactly who Sarah was, right? And that's why verse 10 starts with, the Lord said, all in capitals, because it's telling us right there that he's talking about God. Abraham realizes who is talking to him. But here's the interesting thing. While this conversation is happening outside the tent, right, God is speaking with Abraham, and Sarah's back here God isn't really talking to Abraham, is He? Actually, God is talking to Sarah. She might not be there, but everything that He says is directed to her and about Sarah. In fact, what I think is happening here is that God is saying to Sarah, I- I've noticed you too. See, all throughout the life of Abraham, who has God been talking to? God's been talking to Abraham. Right? All the visions, all the covenants are made with Abraham. It's not been with Sarah there present. This time, God shows up specifically to talk to Sarah. You might say, well, then why is she in the tent? Well, actually, that goes back to very ancient Middle Eastern custom. The wife wouldn't come out and greet strangers and stay in the tent. That's where she would be. But where is she? Well, she's listening right at the door. She wants to know what's going on with this guy. So, verse 10, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him, right? God is speaking for her good. He's not overlooking her. Actually, He sees her and says, now you need to be assured that the promises that I've made to Abraham are coming true for you as well." So verse 11, Sarah reacts, but it's not exactly the best reaction, is it? It says, "'Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, "'After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure.'" right? Sarah just laughs at the promise of God. Are you kidding me? That's not going to happen, right? And not without good reason, right? She is looking at this going like, man, we are old to have kids. That is not going to happen, right? Sarah's going, menopause is way back there. It's not even a factor anymore. Like, this isn't going to be happening. In fact, what's not necessarily clear in English, Hebrew, it's a little bit clearer there, what she's saying is, hey, you know what? We're both real old. Nothing's been happening, all right? Nothing's been happening. It's not going to happen, right? They might have lived thousands of years ago. They knew what it took to make children, and it wasn't going to be there. So, she's saying, this isn't going to be possible. And what's great is God just calls her right out on it, right? Verse 13, the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Well, she gets called out, right? She didn't even laugh out loud. This was just inwardly to herself. She's laughing, she's saying all these things, and God standing outside the tent goes, I know exactly what she's doing. And God calls her out on this, right? She tries to deny it, verse 15, but no, no, she did laugh. And here's the thing, actually, Abraham laughed too. If you remember just last chapter, Chapter 17, verse 17, it says, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Even Abraham is laughing at this because it seems so ridiculous that it could happen, right? It's so outrageous, it seems to be funny, right? It's almost one of those, those sad laughs. Right, where where, where it's just—it's so painful. All you can really do is just laugh, because how could that possibly ever happen? Sarah's saying, "Look, it's just too late. God, it's just too late. It's not going to happen now." Have you ever found yourself laughing at one of God's promises? It can be easy to do, actually sort of doubt that God could actually do what He is promising. All right? Jesus says in John 15, "'Abide in Me, and your joy will be full.'" And we look at that and we go, huh. yeah, I mean, maybe, sure, maybe there will be, you know, some joy from following after Jesus, yeah, I, I can see that, but full? that it will actually replace every other joy and be greater still, is that really going to be the case? We kind of laugh at that, right? It's when we can't even imagine how it could happen, how that promise of God could ever come true. Sarah doesn't really believe it can happen. But here's the thing, If you jump forward into the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11 talks about Sarah. This is what they say, it says, "'By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered Him faithful who had promised.'" See, the writer of Hebrews actually looks back on Sarah and says, she was a woman of faith. And you might say, okay, what is the difference then? What is the difference between her in Genesis 18 laughing at God's promise? There's no way that could be the case. And her in Hebrews 11 saying, actually, she was a woman of faith who steadfastly trusted in God. It's not that the account is wrong, but something changes. I think it has to do with verse 14. Verse 14, God says, is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son." God makes her this promise, I'm going to come back next year, and you're going to have a son. And He asks this question, is anything too hard for the Lord? Right? He asks that to challenge her faith, to actually spur her on to say, do you believe that there is anything that would be too hard for me to accomplish? By the way, the answer is no, in case that's not clear. But the truth is, the hard part isn't answering that question, it's believing it. The hard part isn't to say, you know what, I I can figure out the answer, I can figure out what I'm supposed to say. The difficult part is actually believing that in your life. See, that's the difference between what goes on here and what happens later. Sarah actually believes it. She actually places her faith that says God is able to do this. She put her faith in the wonderful works of God. See, if you look in your text right there in verse 14, there's a little footnote right beside that word hard. It says it can also be translated as wonderful. Is anything too wonderful for God? Is there any promise, anything too amazing for God to accomplish? Is there any promise too outlandish, too amazing, too hard to understand that God could not accomplish it? No. In fact, the prophet Jeremiah recounts this. He says, "'Ah, Lord God, It is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Jeremiah says if God can create all of the world, the universe, the heavens and the earth, everything that is in it out of nothing, why would we assume that anything is too difficult for God to accomplish? Should we not trust Him that He is able to do what we can't? But here's the thing, we got to be careful here because it's really easy to misunderstand and misapply what God is saying here, right? We can miss it when we say something like this, well, this means that God is able to do anything you want Him to do, did you catch it? This is not saying that God is able to do anything I want. This is not me saying, you know what, God says He can do anything, so so God… I. I would love a new car, all right? God, give me a new car. Nothing is too hard for You. That's not what this promise is about. In fact, I think if we were to pray that way, God, give me a new house, give me a brand new house because it's not too hard for You. I trust that You can do it, God's going to say, well, you know what I have promised? What I have promised is You're going to face suffering. I have promised that You're going to face persecution. How about that promise? Are we still trusting that God can do anything? Because in that, God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I will not leave you be, even in your suffering, even in your trials, even in your pain, I will not leave you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is able to do all that He has promised when it says God will actually use your suffering, your pain for good? that He will build up your faith, that He will be able to use all of the hardships in your life actually for good things. See, it's a lesson Abraham's great-grandson would find out. If you remember the story of Joseph, he goes through all manner of trials and suffering, sold into slavery and cast around a number of different times, yet what does he say at the end of his life? He says, "'As for you.'" You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Do you believe that in the worst moments of life, God can use it for good, or is that too hard for God?" See, this is where the difference comes. It's easy to say the answer. It's really easy to say, yeah, nothing is too hard for God. It's another thing to actually believe it, to trust in the middle of pain, in the middle of all of these hardships. Yes, God is able to redeem even this. He is able to bring me out of this. Nothing is too hard for God. See, we can struggle to believe that. God can actually use our pain for good. We can also struggle to believe that His way is actually best. See, it's one thing to say the right answer. It's a whole other thing to believe it and do it, to actually walk in obedience to God, to actually say, I think that by following His commands, His Word, His ways, that it will actually be the best for me. I trust that even all the things that I give up, God is able to give me far more than I would ever gain lost off in a world of sin. That when Jesus says that, in me your joy would be full, He actually means that, that it is actually going to be for the best. To believe Him in the midst of suffering, to believe Him in our obedience, and to believe that when He says, anyone who comes to Him He will forgive means anyone. It means you and me. See, we just celebrated Easter. It's the celebration that Jesus was actually raised to new life, that God out of death brings life. In fact, that's exactly what's going on in our chapter here, Abraham and Sarah, their bodies are, well, to quote Hebrews, as good as dead. They're a hundred years old. There's no way it should be happening, and yet God is going to bring new life. He is able to do that. He is able to raise Jesus from the grave. How will He not also be able to bring us to new life? He is able to forgive all of our sins, When Jesus died on the cross, He said, I paid for the punishment of all of the sins, not just the nice ones, not just the easy ones, all of them. They are done. They are paid for, so anyone who comes, anyone who comes would be forgiven. That means you. That means me. That also means our coworkers. That means the people on the bus who really annoy us and get under our skin, even them, It means the people that we rub shoulders with, the people that we clash with, our neighbors across who we just can't quite stand. God is able to forgive even them. Do we believe that? Or do we look at them and say, no, they're they're too far gone. No, not for them. That would be too hard for God to save, to change them. No, that's too much. Actually, this passage says it's not. It's not too hard for God, so would we be faithful in then sharing, in looking around at even those who seem unlikely and say, God can forgive them? God does what we can't, but nothing is too hard for God. So, this morning as we close, let me invite the worship team to come forward. As they do, let me just ask this question. Where do you find it difficult to trust God? Where exactly do you find it difficult to actually believe that God is able to do what He promises? Is it in your obedience? Is it hard to see that what God is offering will actually be better than anything sin has? Is in the midst of your pain to say, you know what, I don't believe that God could actually bring anything of good out of this mess, out of this junk. Is it looking at your own life and saying, I don't think I can be forgiven. I don't think my neighbor can be forgiven. I don't think that person who doesn't look like me can be forgiven. What have you labeled too difficult for God? See, this text is a reminder that God brings life out of death, that His promises are sure, that there is no reason to question them. So this morning, I want you to hear the promises of God as an encouragement from God who already knows what the end, He knows where the trail goes, and even if we can't see it, God is saying, keep going, keep on. You're almost there. This promise is a reminder that God is able to bring us through to the end. Keep going. Trust in Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much, oh Lord, that You do come after us, that You have welcomed us into Your house. Lord, that when we were Your strangers, when we were far away from You, You brought us in that You redeemed us, that You saved us, so that anyone who would come, who would place their faith in You would be saved. Lord, thank You for that promise that is not too hard for You. We pray these things in Your name. Amen. Amen.